The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's give one more hand for our volunteers and our kids. Yeah, they're awesome. It was an amazing week, and uh, if you got the chance to stop by during the week, it was like the church was transformed into a space station, and, and hopefully that somehow pointed these children towards the light and love of Jesus. Uh, and uh, we are going to turn in, in the Word of God to Mark chapter 12, where we're going to continue to hear about what Jesus commends in his followers, what he, what he looks for. In, in followers of him as these children have been learning about all week. And, and we're going to revisit a passage that we already looked at last week. And I'll explain why um, just after we read it together. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse, let's go to verse 41. It says this, And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray for your, your grace uh, to be upon us this morning as we consider this word. Lord, I pray that you would give us soft hearts to receive what you have for us today, Lord, and I pray that as we, as we come before you to learn from your word, Lord, I pray that we would become uh, more fully devoted followers of you. I pray that we would become disciples who can allow you in every area of, of our lives to be Lord. Lord, have your way this morning. I pray that your spirit would be upon this time that we spend together, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so you remember this from last week. We're coming back to this passage. Jesus has been teaching all morning in the temple, and he's now walked to this corner of the temple where he is, is able to sit down in the shade and people watch for a bit. And as he does, he's in view of the treasury of the temple where people are coming and dropping into these 13 uh, trumpet-shaped basins their coin offerings. Some are coming in and putting on quite a show. They're dropping in loudly their coins one after another to show how generous they, they truly are. And, and notice, though, in this teaching, the way that Jesus pulls aside his disciples. Now, now why is this significant? I think that, that often when we look at Scripture, we'll see Jesus do this kind of thing where he's speaking to great crowds, and then he has a specific teaching that he directs towards his, his close followers. And he's going to direct this message to them, for them to notice what true trust and generosity look like. And he'll do this kind of thing often. And, and here in this case, he's been teaching the crowds. Everyone's listening in to him. And certainly some of them will overhear what he says in this interaction. But as he observes the treasury, as he, as he observes this, this poor widow putting in all that she has in this gift to her God, he has a message that is particularly directed at his dedicated followers. And so in this passage, this is, I think, important or helpful for us to understand. There are two different postures being assumed. There are his close disciples that are listening intently, and then there are the crowds that are just kind of listening in. And so do you see the difference? The disciples listening, the crowds listening in. And, and, and so when we come to this subject of, of money and possessions and our wealth and what to do with them for the glory of God, I think it's fair to say that this is a difficult topic for people. It can be a little uncomfortable, especially for you visiting. If you're here for the first time and you're just here because of a VBS Sunday, we're really glad you're here. 
And so this uh, might strike you as, okay, they're going to be talking about money. What kind of church is this? And so what I'd invite you to do is, is whoever you are this morning, is to assume the, the proper posture. If you wouldn't yet consider yourself a Christ follower, if, if you're just checking out and visiting this church for the first time, you're not committed to the church as a whole, then let me be upfront and say this. Uh, we do not want your money. Not at all. Not at all. We're, we're not going to shake you down. We don't pass an offering plate here in our church. This instruction is not specifically for you. So your posture this morning is you just get to listen in. And you get, get to see, does this church actually preach the word of God? Are, are these believers, these so-called believers, are they authentic? Are they real? And is there something that, that the Lord would have for me as I, I listen in from an outside perspective, observing this? And maybe for you, this might just be a morning to consider if, is Jesus who he claims to be? And is today the day you move out of that crowd to become someone who is listening intently? Someone who is a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? I hope that, and I pray that that is the case for you this morning. Your task is simply to listen in. But for the rest of you, if, if this is your church home, I invite you right now to pull out your wallets, and I'm kidding. <laughs> when it comes to this subject of wealth, this, this question arises, why are we returning to this particular passage? Well, I think it's because we have more to say, there's more to, to learn about this, and Jesus emphasizes the, the way that, that possessions and wealth can get a hold of our hearts in a number of passages in, uh, the, in the scriptures. Many, many actually teachings on this. And when it comes to the issue of wealth, the reason for this is because he sees the power that it has both to be used to, to bless others and also the power it has to consume our hearts, to become our obsession, and, and for us to be possessed by things rather than to possess things. And so here in this passage, this is my encouragement to, to all of you. Allow the word of God to directly convict you, compel you, change you. Allow him to do his, his work in you because you need to know this. Jesus, our Lord, he loves you. He loves you deeply. And, and so you get this opportunity to see what he values and he wants what is best for you. So listen, and as you do, invite him to work in and through you for your good and for his glory. We are interested not in making you better behaved people. We are not interested in, in, in giving you a therapy once a week when you come in here and, and feel better as you leave the sanctuary. No, that's not the goal. The goal is that we would become disciples who make disciples. And a disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. What that means is that we make him Lord in every area of our lives. Every area of our lives including this issue of, of wealth and finances and possessions. So Jesus here, he's surrounded by this great crowd, and, but he's honed in on his disciples here in this moment. And as you recall from last week, he points out to them these grand and showy gifts from these wealthy people, and then what he commends most is this gift, this humble gift of two copper coins from this poor widow. And he says that this gift is worth even more. Why? Because she had put in everything. And so what Jesus is commending in her is this simple trust, this simple trust in God that she can rely on his provision, that even when she gives her last, she trusts that her God will provide. And, and so the contrast here in the lesson, it's, it's very clear to us. This woman gave far more because while the wealthy gave away what they would never miss, this woman gave what she couldn't afford to lose. The rich gave from their excess of riches, which makes a big noise, but this woman puts in all that she has. And so, so some of the principles that we drew out of this last week were, number one, that biblical giving is not measured by portion, but by proportion. That is, our generosity is not measured by how much is given, but by what is left, by what's left. Secondly, we consider that biblical giving is not measured by size, but by 
sacrifice. Thirdly, biblical giving is not so that we can be seen by others, but it's in the sight of God. It is for him to observe and witness. It's between us and our Lord. And fourth, I want to add one more to what we covered last week. It's that biblical giving is not duty, but worship. See, when our giving is sacrificial, when our giving is for the sight of God alone, then when it costs us something, then it goes from being charity to being worship. Now, I know many of us have been taught to or understand that, 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 that the giving that comes into a church is, is how you pay the bills and run the programs and build the buildings and send out the missionaries, and all that is, is true, but it's the wrong focus. It's the wrong focus because the focus of our giving, if it becomes the building, the program, the mission, the missionary, excuse me, when you give to God like that, there's just no joy in it. This is not actually the model in the Bible. Exodus 35, I want you to consider this. Moses is building the tabernacle, and five times he asked for people to contribute to the building of the tabernacle. But if you read Exodus 35, you should notice that not one of those five times as he appeals to them did he refer to this as an offering for the tabernacle. No, he says this is an offering for who? The Lord. For the Lord. Why? Why did he he say it this way? Because when when the people gave, Moses wanted their focus to not be on the building or the programming. He wanted it to be on God. Philippians 4, paralleling this this Old Testament sacrifice of worship, Paul describes the, the financial gifts of the Philippian Christians as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God, a fragrant offering. He's saying that that these gifts are an act of worship. So that's why, whether it's putting money in an offering box or or sending a a check to your old Young Life leader or or responding to some of the fundraisers on Giving Tuesday on Facebook or wherever it is, our attitude ought to be, Lord, I'm giving this to you. Not to this cause, not to this person. I'm giving this to you as an act of worship. I want you to know that, that you mean more to me than any amount of money or anything that it can buy for me. That's what that sacrifice feels like. When we talk about this, this sacrificial gift, this, this, this widow, she's giving up something in a declaration that her Lord means more to her. Lord, this is from my heart to your heart. My prayer is that you would be blessed and glorified through this gift. That, that's worship. That's worship. All worship is, is is communicating to our Lord that he is number one in our life our first priority in every area of our life. And this woman, she, she, her gift doesn't get recognized by the crowds, but the king of kings sees her worship. He sees her generosity and he commends her trusting faith. And so you get the sense that even in her poverty, even when she's in this, this religious institution that actually should have been taking care of her, that she trusts her Lord down to the final penny that he's everything to her and always has been. You, you can get the sense that this is from a life of experience, in God. And I think we, we all have this desire deep down to be like this widow, don't we? To truly trust him with all that we have, to, to surrender all, and to, to be able to say what, what we just sang, that his love is our reward. We want to be like that, but can we admit that this is actually really hard to live out, isn't it? At least at first. And I say at first because I know many people who have determined to submit to God in this area, to submit their finances to God, and they would never go back. People who have built a life of generosity would never go back. They don't don't regret giving away anything. In fact, they wish they could give away more. I want you to picture, like, picture a bank account that holds all the dollars we've wasted on frivolous things. And you get that. And you get to give it away. How amazing would that be? To have all that back, to be able to give it away. People that live generously, they don't regret it. They're blessed 
in it. And, but this is difficult at first because, because we're not sure how this is going to work out. And so this morning, I wonder, are you anxious about finances? Are you anxious about God's provision in your life? I think there's a lot of cause to be anxious, potentially. All, there's all the pressures of our culture, this drive to keep up, to be like everyone else, and, and this eroding sense of stability, even in our economy as Americans. And, and we think, though, that as we feel that stress and that pressure, that we're alone in that, and we're not. In fact, one of the, the, the primary drivers of divorce in our nation is financial struggles. It's very common for, for people to struggle with financially. And here in, a, in this room full of people, there are probably people here who are under tremendous financial strain. But I can tell you with confidence that there are others sitting right around you that have found a way to peace. That have found a way to peace. And, and, and the question is, don't you want that? Doesn't that sound really good to have peace in your finances? What those that have experienced peace in their finances will tell you is that generosity, giving to the Lord and to his mission, that is their first priority. They determine that they will give first, they will save next, and then they will spend from what is left. So do you want that? The reason we're returning to this passage this morning is because as we talked about it last week, I gave you some principles out of it, but what we didn't address is the practical of how does this work? What does this look like in my day-to-day? And so that's what we're going to do over the next few minutes. This is going to be insanely practical as I'm going to ask the questions that perhaps you've asked before about giving to God. Four practical questions. The first one is this. When should I give? When should I give? Have you ever wondered that? I'll give you one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. Paul instructs this. He says, On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. That means in proportion to, to what you've earned, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So he's saying, I want you to methodically, weekly, when we come together for worship on Sundays, I want you to set something aside for giving. Now, is Sunday the only day to give to God? No, I don't think that's what Paul is encouraging here, but I think we can agree that he's encouraging consistent, intentional, planned, systematic giving. And so whether that's weekly or biweekly or monthly or quarterly, I don't know how your income flows. It doesn't really matter. The, The point here is the consistency and the intentionality, the priority of it in the life of a believer. If you look at the Old Testament, it it will talk about uh, the the farmers and and those that are, are working in the fields giving away what? Their first what? Their first fruits. So not many of us are fruit farmers. Any, any fruit farmers here? I grew, grew some apple trees. I planted in my backyard starting back in the spring of 2020 when we were all stuck at home. And uh, this summer, finally, I've got 14 apples coming in, okay? <laughs> and to give of those first fruits, not very impressive. That is not how most of us make a living. But we can apply the same principle to our lives to, to consider what am I going to give, uh, what, what have I earned? And of that, am I willing to give the first of that, the best of that to the Lord. When should I give? Generosity is far more about a behavior, about actually determining to do something than having good intentions. And, and, and so by determining that I'm going to be consistent, whatever it is, if it's a dollar, uh, if it's five dollars, if it's a thousand dollars, whatever it is, I'm going to determine to be consistent and deliberate. And when we do that, it greatly helps. And I can tell you, when I, when I try to be spontaneously generous, like I'm just going to set aside some money to give away at some point to somebody when the need arises. What I find is when I live that way, I end up giving away a lot less than I do when I determine to be consistent and to budget towards giving to God and his, his work. And so that's, that's why what my family does is, this is uh, not to be 
prescriptive, it's just descriptive. I'm just telling you what we do. We have an automatic transfer for our giving to, uh, whether we're giving to the church or to a missionary or um, setting aside money. We, we make sure that we don't neglect it as a priority. And when we monthly revisit our budget to go over it again, uh, that is not a category that shifts at all. It's such a consistent part of our lives. It makes it really easy. And in that, it's as if I need to stop occasionally and remember that we are worshiping God through this. Secondly, where should I give? Where should I give? It's a good question. I think the Bible provides three avenues, three different places in which you might uh, begin to store up treasures in heaven. The first is uh, the local church that you're involved in, the community that you are committed to, and that, for many of you, is, is here in this place. The second is supporting missionaries around the world who are going and bringing uh, the gospel to, to the far reaches of the world. And, and another... Um, would be to give to the poor and needy. We see an example in Philippians 4 of, of Paul get, receiving money for his missionary work, and then we also see many examples, uh, for example, in, in Acts chapter 6, of the church giving away to the needy food and money and resources. And so those are, are three of the main avenues and, and that you can give to. But, but what I really encourage you to do is, as you give to organizations that support and help the poor or the helpless among us, I would, I would encourage you to pursue giving opportunities that are Christ-centered, that have the gospel at their core, that are not just uh, social programs, but have a spiritual component, because that is what, what matters most, is people's spiritual, their salvation above all. And so, uh, for, for me personally, the way our family handles this is we have three categories in our budget. The first is tithes and offerings to our local church, and that's been in place since well before I was on staff here, and, and even back when I was in college, we had tithes and offerings to our church, a separate category for giving to missionaries, if we're supporting any missionaries, and a third category that we call our, our blessed fund, which is just a little bit of extra money that we can maybe buy a, a DoorDash gift card for someone or, or give a, a gift away when the opportunity arises, and that's some of the most exciting money to use for the sake of the Lord. But we set aside those three categories for the Lord consistently. In this prioritization over the years, God has shifted my thinking to prioritize the church uh, more than some of these other areas. And, and if you say, why? Why the local church? Why would that be a priority? This is just Mark talking. Okay, so just, just take this as Mark talking. But I believe that very clearly the church is God's primary instrument in the New Testament for reaching the world. This is his environment for exalting his name, for edifying and building up believers to send them out, and for evangelizing the world. And therefore, I believe it, it ought to be, or ought to have the place of our primary support. Secondly, a good local church will do all the three things that I just talked about. It, it will, um, your giving to the local church will do what you expect. It will keep the lights on, provide for the staff, fund the ministries, fund high-integrity missionaries, and provide for the practical needs of the poor among us in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, so when we give to the church, we're giving to its ministry, we're giving to missionaries through it, and we're giving to the poor uh, through it. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have needy people knocking on my door asking for help in my neighborhood. I wonder how often you have that experience of someone knocking on your door and asking for help. But I can tell you, the church does. Every day. Every day, people coming in need. I don't have a way of personally sharing the gospel with people in the far reaches of the world. But through our missionaries, the church does. And I don't have the capacity to minister to, to hundreds of people and to equip them to be fully devoted followers of Jesus on my own, but the church does. And lastly, and this is something that I would encourage you to look into yourself, the, giving to the local church uh, grants us the highest level of accountability for how those finances are used. If you go here, you can see how they're used. 
You can participate in the ministries. You can, you can uh, be part of what's going on and see if it's bearing fruit. And also, our books are open. Our budget is open. If you have any questions, if you want to know, you can know. And that's in, in stark contrast to, to a lot of the other giving options out there. When you send a, a gift to some TV evangelist or something like that and get a magical feather in return, I'm not sure how all that works. Don't do that. Just don't do that, okay? If not here, give somewhere where you can see the practical work of ministry taking place. And glorify God for that. Third question, how much should I give? How much should I give? Now, when discussing this question, naturally the term tithe may come to mind. It's this kind of old English word in Scripture. It means one-tenth in the Old Testament. And so the, the, the people of Israel, what they would be uh, commanded to do was to give a tenth of their income to the temple in ongoing support of the work of the temple. And then there would be other gifts and offerings in addition to that. But it's important to note that in Israel, uh, tithing was not voluntary. It was obligatory. It was more like taxes in a lot of ways. But in the New Testament, and this might surprise you, but Christians are not explicitly commanded to tithe anywhere in the New Testament. There's no instruction that says you must continue as, as the Christian church to give away at least a tenth of your income, especially since we're not continuing to support the temple in Jerusalem, are we? So, the, so then the question comes up, what then is our obligation? And you might have a sigh of relief and think, I'm off the hook. 2% sounds good. 1% sounds good. Whatever that is. But here's actually what the, the New Testament encourages. It's an even more generous system. It's an even more generous system of giving. Acts 11.29 says, each disciple gave according to their means. So this principle of, of giving in the New Testament means that as followers of Christ, we give in proportion to how the Lord has blessed us. We're faithful in the little that he, he's given us, and then he gives us opportunities to be faithful with even more. And so in that, it implies that, that for example, a, a single parent who is working tirelessly to support her family, who has a disabled child at home or no support or no alimony, these kinds of things, giving 10% may be far too burdensome. And so I would just say, start somewhere. Start somewhere in a show of trust and worship to your Lord, a widow's offering of two mites. But for others, on the other hand, if, if you're getting to that stage of life where you're an empty nester and all your kids have gotten married and, and you saved up way too much for retirement and you don't even know what to do with it, giving 10% might not be generous at all in your life situation. What we, what we can do as believers in Jesus is we can go to him and we can ask him, we can challenge our Lord with this question, Lord, what would you have me give? It's about assessing our lifestyle and our income and our possessions and asking the Lord, how do you want me to use the resources that you've given, given me? Not just money, but my time and my talent and these treasures. What would be an appropriate level of giving for me? You see, the, the New Testament for Christians, we have this higher level of responsibility than tithing. We know that when we give, we are giving in, in worship. And, and so, uh, we, we don't get to just say, oh, I've given this and that's it. I'm good to go. No, it requires us to, to periodically evaluate our, our lifestyle and our spending and determine as we pray, Lord, what really pleases you? What pleases you? You, you may wonder, Mark, are there biblical guidelines regarding how much I should give as we've just been talking about? I think that the widow in Mark 12 is a great example who she determined that even though those coins were all she had left, that is what she was going to give to her Lord. And Jesus is so impressed with her gift that he, he commends her in front of his close followers more than all the wealthy donors who have dropped thousands of coins into those boxes. Lastly, with what attitude should we give? 2 Corinthians 9-7 says this. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Listen to this. This is so important. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
So if you feel compulsion from, from this pulpit right now, no, 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 don't give under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is worship, and, and sincere worship cannot be compelled. Sincere worship is not full of guilt. It's not full of obligation, but rather sincere worship is willing. It is cheerful. It is voluntary. So seek the Lord. Ask him. Ask him what he desires from you and, and give a cheer of delight as you respond in obedience to his leading. This is hard. I know this is, is not easy for us. And so, so the question for each of us this morning is, if this is hard for you, if this is something that stirs up worry for you, I don't know how I could possibly do this. I can't even pay my bills. We have a good father. And you can go to him in prayer, go before his throne and say, Lord, this is my situation. You know it. You know every detail of my life. And we can invite him by his Holy Spirit to minister to us and to lead us. And he is a gentle, kind father. And he loves you more than anyone in your life. So go to him. Seek him. Humble yourself before him. And, and, and ask him to stir up in you a cheer and delight in a generous life. This, this woman demonstrates worship to the Lord. And it cost her dearly, but it was worth it to her because God was dear to her. And in giving of herself in the sacrificial way, she would not have known that her Savior, who's looking upon her from a distance at that temple in just days, would give himself for her, to pay it all for her. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Romans 8, 32 says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We serve a God who had open hands toward us, open hands that have been pierced by nails. A God who, who came to dwell among us, who took on poverty to be in our situation, to live among us, to die for us, so that we might receive adoption into his heavenly family, to live in his kingdom, children of a blessed inheritance. God has been generous beyond all measure, not, not only 2,000 years ago, but for, for those that, that follow him and submit to him in this area of their lives financially. We see his hand. So are your hands open? Are your hands open? Are you praying? Are you planning? Are you plotting how to make much of what God has given you by giving it away? Do you want this in your life? Let me tell you, it is, it is worth it. It is worth it. So I'm going to invite the band to come up, and I'm just going to tell you a story. This is a story I told uh, maybe three years ago. Um, and uh, it illustrates just the goodness and the generosity of God. Because I, I, what we can't do is just make this all about, about people and our efforts and, and how we're going to get it together financially. No, no, no. God is he's so good. And so it was the spring of 2020, uh, which anyone had a good time in the spring of 2020? Anyone? No? Okay. <laughs> it was miserable, right? Everything was being shut down. The stay-at-home orders were, were ramping up. And we as a church staff, we had to figure out how are we going to, to edify the church? How are we going to build up believers in this environment? We as a church had nothing in terms of uh, technology or video. We didn't have any experience or expertise. We didn't know how to stream uh, at all. And so if I could give you a peek behind the curtain for those of you who are, are new here, in those early days, what you would have seen are our streams using my iPhone, uh, lyrics projected on a curtain, so they could be in view of the video, and uh, a computer from 2008, and then also a couple construction lights. That's how we, how we did it. 
and a couple of people who were working really hard just to make something happen. And you as a church, you were so patient as you watched online with all the technical difficulties, all the problems, and told us about them in the comments. It was so <laughs> wonderful. But we, we knew we had to do something. And so what we, we said, this was kind of our saying around the church, was we are going to do something, and even if we do it poorly, we are going to do something poorly, better and better every day. That, that's what we're going to do. We are going to do something. But it was tough. It was, it was uh, really frustrating work, massively frustrating. There were sound issues, video issues, internet issues, you name it. Uh, we had to, to sing and record the same songs over and over again because never, it never seemed to work. And so there's Easter Monday. Easter Monday rolls around, and Easter Sunday was just completely exhausting with video upload issues, all kinds of problems that you don't care about. And there I am waking up early on Easter morning, and I'm wondering aloud to the Lord, Lord, does it really have to be this hard? Like, when are the easy days returning? When are the easy days coming? And, and I'm, I'm laying there, and I get up next to my bed and grab a note, notepad, and I'm, I'm asking myself, what would it take for us to actually do this well, to, to have a high-quality, watchable online service? What would we need? What would the resources that we need be? if they were available to us. So I, I grab a notepad and, and I'd been studying this and working on it for a long time. So I begin to make a list of, of what we would need. And it was upgraded presentation software, streaming software, hardware video encoder, a video switcher, cameras, lenses, tripods, cables, video monitors, uh, tints for our, our windows, stage lighting. And I start writing all these things down and putting dollar amounts next to them for each item. And before you know it, I have a list of items that was roughly $11,800 if I'm really frugal and if I get mostly used equipment. And for, so for some of you, you're thinking, well, that's it. That's, that's not that much. Well, good for you, okay? <laughs> for a church that hasn't been able to meet in months, like we, we haven't had people in the building. We don't know if the giving is going to continue and we're just trying to keep our, our staff employed. You know, we're thinking about other things. And so in terms of, of a budget priority, when we don't know that money's gonna roll in, uh, I have to ask, can we have any of that? And to me, my kind of defeated answer was, no, there's no budget for that. There's no certainty that giving will remain consistent. We can probably just continue to get along somehow. And friends, this is what's known as a poverty mentality. When we begin to think that since we don't have enough, that God somehow doesn't have enough. And so I, before I crumpled up that list and, and threw it away, I prayed over it. I said, God, this is your church. This is your name that we're representing. I think this is what we need to serve your people well right now during the season, but there's no budget for it. You know that. And even if the money does come in, we have to use it for other priorities. But Lord, I know if you want us to have this, and I remember praying like this, if you want us to have this, you need to come through with a specific gift, not an ordinary tithe, but something that is given specifically for this purpose. Purpose, Help us, Lord. If you want us to have it, we can have it. And so I finished praying and I move on with my morning and about Two hours after giving it to the Lord in prayer, I get a text from someone that says, Mark, are you free for a call? Now, I, I don't know about you, you, but when I get a text that says something like, we need to talk, don't like that. <laughs> don't do that, okay? It's usually a bad thing. But in that moment, I knew that it wasn't something to dread. It was as if the Spirit of God said to me, this is it. This is it. So I get this text that says, we need to talk. And I just look at my phone and I say to the Lord, no way. God, are you really about to do this? And so I get on the phone with this individual and um, we're chatting, small talk. How's stuff going at the church? How's the pandemic treating you? All that kind of stuff. How are services going? And then after a few minutes of, of 
conversation, this person asked me, Mark, what would it take for us to really step up our streaming game and what would it cost? And so I run through the list in my head and I eliminate things in my head. And again, thinking so small before the Lord, I say, I think we can make a lot of progress for about $3,500. To which this individual responds, wow, that's it? Listen, Mark, the Lord has been really good to our family this year and we've just felt led to give a special gift beyond what we typically do. And we want it to be for a specific purpose exactly like this, but we were thinking more like $12,000. Do it right. I wish I could say that that my jaw hit the floor, I was speechless or, or something, but can I be really honest with you? This is the God I've come to know. This is what he does. This is the God that that family that gave that gift had come to know that it wasn't theirs. That through this act of worship, they're just giving back to God what is, what is already his. And they had built their life on this commitment to trusting God at his word. And they, they were simply obedient stewards of his abundant possessions, knowing that he has more than enough, that they've been faithful, as they've been faithful and little, he's been blessed, they've been blessed to do even more. They know he's worthy of our worship. I hope you hear, church, this, that through that gift, God loves you. Like he cared about your spiritual well-being during that season. Some of you are watching online right now and he cares about you and he has provided for you a, a way to worship him. Everything we have is a gift from his hand. God has done this kind of thing in my life personally and now through the life of the church so often that I now count on him to act in these ways and I earnestly desire that you would know him in the same way that you would have the same experience of our good God because I'm not surprised by that gift coming in, but I am grateful. We have all been blessed by that gift. And even more than that, I am thankful and grateful this morning for those people who will never have their story told on a Sunday morning about their generosity, but they've determined to live radically generous lives for the sake of their Jesus and his gospel, free from the bondage of possessions, free from the pressures of finances, fully trusting in the goodness of God and desiring to maximize his mission. This kind of life displayed by by one family and by one widow, it can change a life, it can change a church, and by the grace of God, it can change the world, and you can do something yourself. All that is required is a willing heart and open hands. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want this. There's part of us deep down, we all want to be generous, and Lord, it's hard. It's hard to trust you. It's hard to be consistent. It's hard to know what's, what's coming a, a week from now, a day from now, a month from now, Lord. But Lord, I pray that, that as we seek to follow you as fully devoted followers, as we seek to, to have you as Lord of our life in every area, Lord, we submit to you our, our finances. And we invite you to come in and, and work on us, Lord. What do you want? What do you want? And Lord, as we res- respond to the answer to that question, I pray you'd give us a cheerful, grateful heart. You have been so good and so generous beyond all measure. Lord, we love you. Mm -hmm. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.